Hey everybody, this is Harriet from the More Wine and Music podcast. I am your host, Harriet Westmore. Welcome to season three, episode number 33 of uh, the early 50s genre. Um, Before we get started, I want everybody to hit that like, hit that subscribe, hit that share button, and um, become a member become a a regular listener to the More Wine and Music uh, podcast. Um, If you want to hear past episodes, you can go to www.morewineandmusic.com. That's more, M-O-O-R-E, music, wineandmusic.com. Are you ready to make some transitions in your life but don't know where to start? Maybe you want to take that leap and start your own business or change careers. How about improving your relationships with others or getting rid of toxic relationships? Well, the More To Discovery Coaching is an opportunity to talk to a coach and gain support and skills to move forward with your life. Sometimes making a step into an unknown can be intimidating. More To Discovery Coaching Services understands that and will provide the personal support to you as well as strategies that you can implement in your progress. So go to https colon forward slash forward slash more to discover.com and schedule a 25 minute free consultation. That's more to discover the number two discover.com and schedule a 25 minute free consultation. Discover your future with more to discover coaching. All right, today's episode is going to be about a short lived but very impactful artist that came from the 50s. He was an RB artist, um, but unfortunately, his uh, life was cut short due to a tragic accident. And we're going to talk about Johnny. Ace. I couldn't, um, I didn't know, I, I heard of the name, but I just didn't, you know, really know much of his background until I did some research. So, I mean, it's pretty tragic, pretty short episode because, I mean, he was short-lived, but he did make an impact in the 1950s during um, the R&B and rock and roll era. So who was Johnny Ace? Well, he was born John Marshall Alexander Jr. on June 9th of 1929 in Memphis, Tennessee. He was born to John Marshall Alexander Sr. and Leslie Newsom. John Sr., his father was a Baptist minister, but it was said that his mother was actually the dominant figure in the family. Johnny had um, many uh, had several siblings. Um, I couldn't find out exactly how many, but I mean, it it, it was determined that it was uh, he had a pretty nice sized family. Um, by the age of nineteen, Johnny had dropped out of high school. He was one of those kind of kid that was rambunctious, um, happy go lucky but yet wasn't fully focused. He's, you know, everyone in the, you know, there's always a kid that, you know, you kind of have to kind of keep him on the, 
because he may stray off a little bit. So you got to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. And, you know, Johnny was one of those of the children that was kind of, you know, going from this way to that way, very unfocused. But I mean, a good kid after, you know, anyway, he, I mean, he, like I said, he was always a jokester, always, you know, didn't take life too seriously. But he dropped out of high school and, um, well, he dropped out of high school, but didn't have a job. So he decided to enlist into the Navy. And it was said, you know, even his short time in service, he went AWOL a few times. So again, you know, wasn't focused, um, just, you know, started one thing, but didn't, but never finished through, follow through what he wanted to do. So needless to say, he was actually discharged from the Navy and he returned back to Memphis pretty much, you know, uncertain what he was going to do next. Um, he knew that he wasn't going to follow in his father's footsteps of being a preacher. Um, he was, you know, as a preacher's kid, you know, you come from a family when your father is the dominant preacher, you know, you have to be in church most of the time. And, you know, that's just wasn't what Johnny wanted to do. So he pretty much sneak off from his family, you know, house and just hang around um, down in Beale Street, which we all know Beale Street was one of the famous spots where up and coming blues artists, R&B or blues artists would um, play and hang out at. So, you know, he went there, pretty much got in um, trance with the hearing the music, different artists like B.B. King and others uh, who would uh, perform down in Bill Street. And so that's where he got his epiphany that he kind of liked that, that scene. So he wanted to be a, uh, a musician. So by the age of 20, he learned how to play the piano and he had the ability to play the piano. And um, seeing that, you know, he was playing the piano and listening to what, you know, the back then the old folks would call it the devil's music. Of course, his father was not happy about that. But um, he still, nevertheless, Johnny still would, you know, sit around and, and just listen to uh, the sounds of Beale Street. He actually became well, good enough to where he taught himself to play. And he joined the band that was called at the time called the Beale Streeters. And this band was actually formed by entertainers like B.B. Um, King, Bobby Blue Bland, along with Junior Parker and Earl Forrest and Roscoe Jordan. They're the one that formed this uh, band because this uh, band would play as their backup. And Johnny was a part of that band. So by the time of um, the year of 1948 that came around, Ike Turner, which we all know who Ike Turner was, um, was working for this recording company called Modern Records had 
and he was actually a talent scout, a talent scout. Sorry, he was a talent scout. And so he noticed um, Johnny's playing. He liked the way how he plays. So he asked Johnny to record a song for him um, at his, because uh, Ike was at the time was uh, forming his own record label. And so Johnny recorded a song for Ike for his own um, record label. And, um, you know, after that, Johnny really got the bug of wanting to be an entertainer. That was in 1948. However, in 1949, he met a, a young girl named um, Lois Palmer. Lois Palmer. Uh, Lois, I'm sorry. Lois Jean Palmer. And Lois, she was actually, she was only a freshman. She was like 16 years old, right? So she was still in high school. By this time, Johnny was like 21. And she was 16. And they kind of had to keep their relationship on the down low. So really no one knew that they were dating until she became pregnant. She, she became pregnant. So obviously, you know, everybody's, you know, knew that both their parents knew that, you know, they were dating. So something had to be done. And of course, back in the day, what you do, you get married. So in 1950, on July 17th, the young couple became married. Um, like I said, she was around 16 years old and he was 21. Well, of course, they, you know, Johnny being a sometime musician, he really didn't have any money to support his new wife. And now um, a son, their first child, who was a son named Glenn Alexander. Um, so he decided to move his wife and young son into his parents' home. But the catch was because Johnny was playing that devil's music, his father would not allow him to come and live in his home. While he was playing the devil's music, he was not allowed to uh, be in the home. So while his wife and child was in the home, Johnny had to go live somewhere else. And so he actually lived in a um, local hotel that was near, you know, the the family, you know, near his parents' house. So, you know, he had to do that for a while while he was playing. And um, soon after the couple, the young couple had a daughter named Janet. Um, but, you know, again, even though he had a, a wife and two children by now, by this time, the entertainment bug just still would not let him go. And so it was around this time he was still being the um, Beale Streeters, but B.B. King and later Bobby, 
land, they just pretty much, they decided to pack up and leave Beale Street, you know, the Memphis area and move up, you know, outside of Tennessee. They moved to the West Coast. I know they said that B.B. King had moved, decided to move to L.A. at that time. And so um, uh, Johnny decided he was decided to take over the band as a band leader. And so he became the band leader of, of the Bill Streeters. Okay. And, um, and this, this was around 1950, 1951. While playing briefly um, with the band, um, the Bill Street Streeters, he decided, you know, he was pretty much done with that. And he wanted to go solo and do his own thing. And so he caught the eye of the, um, of a guy named David James Mattis, who was actually had his own recording company called Duke Records. So he was impressed with uh, Johnny and wanted Johnny to sign on to his record label, which he did. And he um, played and record for Duke Records. Now, incidentally, um, David James was also the program um, director for the local R&B station WDIA in Memphis. WDIA, if you know the history, was a very popular uh, radio station from um, out of Memphis. And that's where you would hear most of the uh, upcoming R&B artists. So, uh, WDIA was a very um, instrumental in putting out um, music such as BB King and Bobby Blue Bland and Junior, you know, other um, local um, rhythm and blues artists. You can hear their music on WDIA. And it was at this point that when he signed on to uh, Duke Records. He was given a stage name or, you know, there's been there's a little bit of controversy. Some says that uh, David Mattis himself gave him the name Ace. And then, but Johnny's brother said that no, that um, Johnny himself named, you know, named himself Ace. And so, this was used as his stage name. So from here on out, I'm going to um, call him Ace. Well, while recording with Duke Records, he really became popular. He became popular and, you know, started recording songs that were really started climbing up the charts. And some of the songs that he recorded was like um, my song, Cross My Heart. The clock, saving my love for you, please forgive me, and never, never let me go. And like I said, it, it charted pretty well in the R and B charts. Um, but while he was rising up as a star, his marriage unfortunately was falling apart rapidly. And you know, the main reason why, because he was never there. He was never home with his family. He was too busy on the road. And on top of that, as being busy, you know, running, 
you know, playing everywhere and, and, and not being at home with his um, young family. He was also considered a womanizer. So he was a cheater and just, uh, just was not a um, devoted husband. And he eventually decided to pretty much just leave his family. He just kind of disbanded his family and left them and, you know, just wanted to uh, be on the road. So that was, uh, you know, that, that ended the marriage. So while he was um, on the road, he decided he met and, and started touring with uh, Willa Mae Big Mama Thornton. Now, if anybody who knows who Big Mama Thornton was, she was the original, she was, she's the one that really, who um, wrote and sang the song Hound Dog. That song Hound Dog that everybody knows that Elvis sings was actually Big Mama Thornton. But Elvis took the song and re-recorded and made it popular to what it was, to what everybody knows. But that song was originally recorded by Big Mama Thornton. So Ace started uh, hooked up with her, and they they started touring and and playing of uh, you know at different uh, venues. So it was this was around 1953 and into 54, and again Ace started as his. Uh, records started gaining more popularity as most with artists, especially young artists, you know, he began to have a big head, so to speak. So he, um, um, was very, you know, cocky as, you know, any young kid who, you know, started to gain a little notoriety. So he was, as we say, the street was, you know, starting to get brand new and, um, you know, he was cocky, but one thing, you know, that he always did was be very, I mean, jovial. He was always playing jokes with people, always, you know, clowning around, not really taking things seriously. And his, one of his main things that he always liked to do that people said he always did, even on the road, he always had a 32 caliber revolver. And he would, for some reason, he liked to play with that gun um, when he's not, you know, when he's on the road or whatever, because he liked to shoot and do target shooting. Um, he would shoot at cans or whatever. And um, that I guess that was his thing. You know, when he's traveling or whatever or on the road, if he had a chance, opportunity to, you know, shoot that uh, pistol, that's what he would do. He would shoot at... Uh, target, um, shoot at things in, in the field or whatever as they're traveling or whatever. So that, that, that was one of his pastimes. Well, on Christmas Day of 1954, he, along with Big Mama Thornton and some of the other band members, other recording artists like Earl For Forrest, who was not 
he was not only a recording artist, he was a recording artist himself, but he was also the um, engineer um, in that time. And others, um, they were scheduled, they had, they were playing at a um, venue called the City Auditorium. This was in Houston, Texas. And so they were performing there on Christmas Day. Well, the day before that, Ace had just bought his new 1955, I don't know if it was a Cadillac or an Oldsmobile. It was something, I mean, but it was brand new. So obviously, you know, he was beaming from ear to ear, you know, uh, just strutting around and, you know, bragging and being cocky because, you know, he just bought this brand new vehicle. So he was very proud of himself and want everybody to know um, about his new purchase as well. Well, that was Christmas Eve. Now, Christmas Day, like I said, they were performing and they finished their first set. He finished, he got off the stage, he finished his first set. And, you know, in between sets, you have breaks. So everybody was in the back um, in their dressing room, you know, just chilling, having a good time, talking and everything. And, uh, you know, as... Johnny does is what Johnny Ace does, you know, playing around, joking, you know, and he just happened to have his handy dandy pistol playing around, flicking it around and stuff. And, you know, everybody knew that everybody knows that's what he likes to do. And, it, you know, even though it it, it kind of make people nervous because, you know, it would anybody, anybody who has a, uh, uh, you know, waving around and just playing around with the gun, you know, it makes anybody nervous. But, you know, with him being, you know, cocky and, you know, he, he, he knew what he, you know, so he thought, knew what he was doing and everything. So he was like pointing it at his then, whoever his current girlfriend was at the time. I mean, but he wouldn't, you know, just like, you know, just like, it's like a kid. He was pretty much acting like a young kid, um, kids who would like play cowboys and Indians and stuff. And this was a, a 25 year old. He was 25 years old at this time. So, you know, people were like, you know, man, why don't you just put that gun away? You know, you could hurt somebody, you know, don't, don't, don't why don't you just put it away? You know, because people were getting, obviously, you know, anybody having a gun pointed at them, I don't care if you were playing around or not. It does, I mean, it makes you nervous. But Ace was like, man, I'm not, what I'm, you know, you know how much I like my gun. You know, I'm not going to shoot anybody. It's not even loaded. The, I don't have any bullets in it. But, you know, still everybody, you know, his Everybody was telling them, man, just, you know, chill out with that. And um, again, Ace was like, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm good. There's nothing. I'm just playing around with this. I'm not going to hurt anybody. There's no bullets in here. I'm, you know, see? And what he did was he put the gun to his temple. 
demonstrating that there were no bullets in that gun. He wanted to let everybody know, and he pulled the trigger, and he, the gun fired. And so he shot himself in the head with that gun that was supposedly, according to him, was empty with bullets. Well, Big Mama Thornton was there at the time and she ran out screaming. She ran out screaming, screaming that, you know, Ace, you know, just shot himself. He just killed himself. And, you know, it, 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 it was a shock to everybody. It was, I mean, you know, you didn't, obviously you never would see something like that coming, but then again, anybody who's, you know, playing around with a, a gun like that, it was, you know, it could definitely happen and it did. And so unfortunately this young man by a sheer accident took his own life by being careless. Now, you know, there were, you know, stuff like that. You know, there's always rumors coming out. Um, they said that he was playing Russian roulette. Um, and, you know, he obviously was clicking around with the uh, the revolver and, and the chamber and, you know, kept clicking it and kept clicking it. And then it went off. But that's not from based on people who was actually there you know, they insist that's not what happened. He wasn't playing Russian roulette. He actually, you know, just was trying to show people that there, I mean, that there was nothing to worry about, that there was no bullets in, in the re, in the chamber, in the revolver at all. But, and he was, when he put his, that, gun to his head and to demonstrate to show people see there's nothing you know the gun is empty and when he pulled that trigger obviously there was that one bullet you want to call it the barney bullet the barney five five bullet that was in the chamber uh it went off and it tragically took his life so Ace was buried on January 2nd, 1955 at Claiborne Temple AME Church in Memphis. His body was taken back to Memphis and he is now buried at the New Park Cemetery in Memphis. So this is a tragic story. You know, again, it's one of those stories of who knows how far he would have came in his lifetime, how his career would have went um, in his lifetime, had he has still, you know, lived. Um, it, it's, it, it's also a lesson that, you know, don't play with guns, period. Just, um, I can tell you from experience because I, I do, uh, I am a, a concealed carry holder that, you know, when I shoot, always make sure that that slide lock is to the back and I double check 
and make sure there, there are no bullets in the chamber. But I, you know, as the, as you're being taught as any um, firearm instructor tells you still treat that gun as if there is a bullet in there. Always treat it as if, it, if there is a bullet, even though you double check and see that is the chamber is empty and you have that slide locked back. This is from this is as a automatic. But if you look at the, your from a revolver, which I've never shot a revolver, um, but you know, uh, looking at and to making sure all the bullets are not there. But I mean, still treat it as if there are bullets there 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 is a still a bullet you know there um and just it's just tragic you know he was 25 years old still acting like a kid somewhat and being just careless it was just a just a careless ex unnecessary accident so that's the story of uh Johnny Ace Alexander. So again, hit that subscribe, hit that uh, like button, go to www.morewineandmusic.com, listen to past uh, episodes of in past seasons. And um, please check out my YouTube channel of More Wine and Music the story behind the music. And that is where I talk about incidents and things about um, music artists, the story behind their, uh, the story behind the music. Not necessarily about the them as a um, artist, but the scandal, I don't want to say scandal, but some of the interesting um, facts that, um, are related to uh, these artists it's behind the scenes than what you know their regular uh, their regular performances, but what really goes behind the scenes. So that's the I do that on my YouTube channel. So hit subscribe and follow me on um, more wine and music podcast story behind the music. You can find that on my YouTube channel. And um, here's some uh, interesting uh, stories about our favorite artists and entertainers uh, behind um, the scene. All right. 